Welcome to the Reality Check Podcast. I'm Zachary Phillips. In today's episode, I'm going to be talking about why your passion can be detrimental to your cause. The impetus to do this podcast came from the reaction to a blog post that I just put up. And this blog post is entitled, Your Passion is Detrimental to Your Cause? Why Militant Veganism Doesn't Work. Before I get into discussion of the reaction and the response to this and sort of elaborating on it, I'm going to read it to you. If you'd prefer to read this post, please head over to my website at zachary-phillips.com slash blog, and you can check it out from there. Whenever someone is passionate enough about an issue to write, protest, advocate, or vocalize for it, there is a risk that their passion will impede their ability to be persuasive. Take any divisive issue where there are multiple groups with contrasting vested interests and perceived or actual consequences for all involved. Issues like gender pronouns, religion, politics, parenthood, veganism, and mental illness are all appropriate examples, but there are many more. If you are not careful, discussions on these topics can become quite heated as both sides believe that they are right. They can both cite scientific data that support their claims. Both may suggest cultural, religious, and historical precedents that support their view, as well as suggest many anecdotal reasons supporting their point. In addition, both sides can claim that they have significant proportion of the population behind them. When two such people meet and begin discussing a contentious issue, there is a major problem as both groups are significantly invested in their worldview and will be unlikely to be persuaded. The discussion devolves into a screaming match, with each side talking over the other person, countering their positions with pre-established narratives and lines of logic. If this occurs in a public forum as a debate, often supporters of both sides will claim victory. They observe the issue through an echo chamber of fellow supporters and use debates and arguments as further evidence that they're right. This sort of discussion may be fine when talking to the in-group about a particular issue or in a debate, but when it comes time to try and convince new people to take up your cause, the force of the argument is often overwhelming. There's a risk that the same tactics, arguments and force will be used to convince a new follower as they do to rebuke people in an argument. In effect, they end up coming on too strong, too fast, and use language that is not understandable to the people that are not passionate about the topic as they are. In addition, the change that they are pushing for may be so far from where they're currently at that the newcomer may struggle to believe that it's possible to change that much, or even potentially revolt against the proposal as it would involve such a significant change to their world. This can have the effect of driving people away, or even converting them to the opposition. Take veganism, for example. Whilst not all vegans are like this, there are a significant amount of people online and in person who push their worldview onto others in a very forceful manner. From a vegan's perspective, the eating habits of most of society would be abhorrent, effectively akin to the general ambivalence and acceptance of enslaving, torturing, and eating a race of people because it's convenient and tastes good. To understand how a vegan may feel, try to imagine a world where human corpses were on display in the meat section of a supermarket or that eating of humans was casually discussed multiple times per day in conversation. The problem comes when these feelings are projected and forced onto unwilling and unsuspecting ears. This is often met with anger, annoyance, and confusion. When I unexpectedly see a video of a slaughterhouse, caged pigs, tortured fur animals, or other traumatic images of this nature, I feel ill. Whilst their content may be a true representation of what is happening, forcing them on me in an unexpected manner has the opposite effect to what the person sharing it desires. Rather than changing my opinion about eating meat, I'm just saddened at what is happening and also annoyed at the person that forced it upon me. Often I'll block the person or the website that it's from. I don't want to be exposed to that kind of thing unwillingly. 
Despite being sickened by what I see, I won't change my behaviour. Not because the plight of animals doesn't concern me. It does. Rather because of the tactics that are used to convince me to change are too aggressive. They close off communication. They make me reflexively revolt against any push down that path. Mainly because I'm anxious about being shown more slaughter or torture. In addition, what they're asking of me is too extreme. I eat meat and animal products daily, and regularly use animal products for clothing and other purposes. For someone in my shoes, to change to a lifestyle that doesn't use animals at all is very extreme. I'm honestly not sure how to get there from where I am. I don't have the knowledge to do so, and I'm afraid of asking because I don't want to be exposed to traumatic imagery or discussions. I'm aware that there are many moderates who would be more than happy to talk and share their opinions in a safe and non-judgmental manner, but the extremists have made searching for the moderates risky. A more convincing approach would be to attempt to understand where the person you are trying to convince is at, and then move them towards your goal from there. One small step at a time. For me, that may involve me cutting meat consumption to once per day, or having meat-free days. Whilst this is not veganism, it's a small step towards it. Once I've learnt to adapt to a meat-free day, maybe push it to two days per week, and so on. Small incremental changes are not as intimidating as a large quick change. In addition, I'd be likely to stick to it. Habits take a while to break and reform. It won't be as quick as you would like, and potentially I may never become a full-fledged vegan, but I'll be closer to the goal than where I am now. For every issue that you're passionate about, I'll suggest the following. If you want to convince people of something, it's important to get down to their level and see the world through their eyes. Work out where they are coming from and what they believe. Once you know where they're at, you may begin to encourage them in a particular direction. It's important to go slowly and speak carefully. Try to avoid scare tactics or shock campaigns, as this approach may cause the listener to close themselves off to you or your cause. Be willing to answer their questions, even the ones that seem obvious or insulting. If they're asking questions in earnest, it means they're interested. If you get offended or annoyed or insinuate that the other person is stupid, you'll lose them. They don't have your knowledge and as such may be lacking some specific piece of vital information that you take for granted. For example, if I don't eat meat, where will I get my protein from? Avoid insults, put-downs or suggestions of barbarism. It's important to realise that just because you believe that their behaviour is abhorrent, they may think it's completely normal. If you insult that behaviour, people will sooner get defensive than change their minds they are likely to believe themselves more than they believe you. Be patient. Changes take time, and the person you're trying to convince may relapse into their old ways. If this happens, don't chastise them or judge them. They're only human. Instead, be there to talk to, offer advice, and admit where you've relapsed and what's helped you through it. Realize that although the issue is very important to you and is at the forefront of your mind, it's not that way for others. If you keep that in mind when communicating about your passion, it won't be as overwhelming to the uninitiated. To be clear, I find it amazing that there are so many passionate people out there pushing their agendas, promoting their causes, and striving to make changes in the world. I fully encourage this behaviour, because without it, there would be no social progress or really much in the way of ethical development at all. If you have a passion, please don't be discouraged by a lack of progress. Although it can take a lot of time, these movements do have real-world consequences that have impacted us all, and made our world more acceptable and more livable. And I won't lie, I'm one of these people. My cause is mental health advocacy. Ideally, I'd like to see a stigma-free world where people with mental illnesses are understood and not unfairly judged or looked down upon. A world where people can talk about their mental concerns without fear of reprisal. And to promote this, I write about mental health issues, self-harm, suicide, and traumatic childhood experiences. In all honesty, I hope I can take my own advice when it comes to this. I'd hate to see that my passion negatively impacts my cause, which is a cause that I find so important. Thank you. I just need to give you guys a quick update since the recording of this podcast. 
Some stage in the middle of the podcast, I talk about still eating meat. Since recording, I've moved to a vegetarian diet. I still have eggs and protein powder, but besides that, I'm basically eating vegan. And I found that I feel quite a lot better in terms of my mental state. I'm able to, I feel like I'm able to produce more and be more creative. And I'm not sure if that's um, a placebo or if it's me not feeling as heavy and weighed down. I don't know. But I just wanted to add that to this before you get to that section. That's the blog post that I put up and I shared that on a couple of Facebook groups as well as some groups on Reddit and some other areas. And really, I I want support. At one stage, I tried to become a vegetarian and the lack of close support in my life combined with just the general difficulty of it made sticking to it quite hard. And I ended up, you know, going back to eating meat. I eat basically, you know, ethically sourced meat in terms of, you know, free range and organic and that side, that side of things. But it's, you know, the animals are still dying and I'm still eating, you know, the meat from them. So it's not that ethical in that sense. But the the, the thing that I, I struggle with is it's, for me, I, I have issues with, sticking to diet plans and sticking to big changes or changes or habitual changes mainly due to issues with anxiety and depression when i'm in a good mental state i'm able to meditate exercise and diet fine i can i have that level of self control but when i'm not feeling good it's impossible to even get out of bed i i struggle to talk so when I try and impose a diet upon myself in those circumstances, I fail. I I struggle. In a couple of previous podcast episodes, and I'll link it to them, I've talked about what it feels like when I'm anxious or depressed, and I've basically recorded myself during bouts of anxiety and depression. And upon re-listening to those, it's really clear that, for me personally, I struggle to do the basic things that are required to keep me alive when I'm in a bad mental state. So imposing a significant change upon my lifestyle in those circumstances is quite hard, if not impossible. Now, in response to that argument, people online have come back at me and saying, well, you're not trying hard enough, or you value yourself more than animals, or a range of other other responses to that. And it's it's not about trying hard. I can I can try as hard as I can, but when I'm in a bad mental state, I have a limited capacity to try. It's like my strength has been shaved off to a fraction of what it was. So when I'm depressed, I physically, like, I can't lift as much weights at the gym. I can't debate or talk with the same level of clarity that I can when I'm feeling good. And I have less self-control. It's like I'm a shell of a person that I currently am. So maybe... You know, maybe I should be stronger, or maybe I should, I should try to be stronger, but it's hard. When you're in a bad place, it is hard to do. And I suppose the other side of things is that, do I value myself more than animals? Yes. And that might be selfish or might seem odd to some people, but I put myself and my family and humans in general, like a, a particular human above a particular animal. That's not to say that I don't value the environment or don't value the lives of animals or that sort of thing, because I would like to see a sustainable way that we could live. I don't think that 
the way a lot of Western societies lives with the amount of meat consumption that we have is sustainable, or the amount of environmental destruction is sustainable. It's just not. But if you had to ask me to choose between my life, my family's life, or my friend's life, and the lives of the same amount of animals, or even, you know, many, many more animals, I'm going to lead towards the lives of humans. That might be species-centric, but that's you know, an evolutionary trait of being a human. We, or any animal, an animal will put its own life and the lives of its kin above the lives of other animals of that species and of other animals of other species. It's just life. So I suppose I wanted to address the response to my article as well, more specifically. Some people in response to this have come out and offered me a lot of resources and advice and support. And to those people, I'm very grateful for, because I'm not sure if I'll ever become a full-fledged vegetarian or vegan, but I would like to live a more ethical life, and having the resources and support and knowledge available to me would be quite helpful. Because in the past, you know, I've, I'm, I'm lucky enough to have vegetarians and vegans in my life now that are kind and friendly people who will offer support and advice. But in the past, I'd met acquaintances or friends of friends that would just berate me for asking questions and trying to clarify things that I was unsure about. And that had the effect of just making me angry at the person and at their cause. It's like they were such a negative pariah for what they were doing that you could just see people recoiling from what they were saying and what they were suggesting because in in all honesty, you had the thought that, well, if that's what a vegan's like, I don't want to be that. And I suppose I have to generalize my article here to more than just vegans. It's really to anybody that's extremely passionate about a particular topic. And at the start, I talked, I mentioned that it could be about religion or politics or gender pronouns, or mental health, or anything. If you look at people that come from or push or advocate for any of those causes, you will find extremists. And those extremists, unfortunately, paint a bad picture for the rest of us. Um, and, I mean, this this argument has been played out in every in every field, but when people push their opinions really, really strongly upon you, you have this general pushback. They don't really put you in a situation to be open for discussion and open for change. I found this in the comment sections of the places that I posted this article. Some people, like I said, were very nice and caring and saying, well, what support do you need? And other people were just berating me, saying that I should be able to just change my behavior or that, you know, the animals are suffering and therefore I should suffer. And that they were, you know, just basically doing exactly the things that I said would be not convincing. They were being insulting and demeaning and being overzealous. But those actions were basically missing the point. I'm saying that their actions are overzealous and that overzealous actions will not be convincing to help people like me and a lot of people to consider their point of view. This is the thing. If I was as passionate about them, I would be open for ideas of the best way to convince people to see the world from my perspective. 
if I was a full-fledged vegan, I would hopefully want to step back from it and consider my tactics. Let, let's presume that their goal is to make a world where everyone's vegan. Or if we go down any of the other paths, that everyone's their religion or that everyone sees their view of politics or everyone uses what they consider to be the appropriate use of gender pronouns, whatever, whatever the passion is. One tactic that these people could use would be to yell and scream and push forth the extreme view of their opinion. So for vegans, it will be sharing videos of animal torture. It will be, you know, protesting outside the meat section of supermarkets. It will be berating people online and shoving those opinions down their throat when it's unasked for. And yeah, I'm sure those tactics have and will continue to convert some people to the cause. But I would argue that those people would have converted anyway, because if you can be convinced by that, you'll be convinced by a mellower approach. If I was in their shoes, I would want to step back and go, well, what is the best way to convince people as a whole to see it from my perspective? In my in my opinion, it would be a slow incremental changes that doesn't shock society so completely or doesn't ask of people to change their worldview and behavior and everything in an instant. Because if you consider what the human animal is, we're very habitual. We work out how to survive. And once we find a way that we can survive, we continue down that path. People that are suffering from pain will change how they walk. Once the pain goes away, it's very hard to change their gait because they've adapted to walking with a limp. If people have suffered psychological trauma, they will develop coping strategies that they will persist with well beyond the need for them. If people find a way to sustain themselves with food, they'll continue with those patterns even when they're well beyond that. You know, my my grandma moved, escaped World War II, and then she moved to Australia, and she still lives with the same morals and ethics and, you know, cooks with the same the same ingredients in the same way she used to back when she was a peasant. But now she lives in, you know, a modern house with electricity, running water, and has access to supermarkets. She has no need to live or cook the same way, and yet she still does because, you know, humans are creatures of habit. So if you consider the eating of meat a habitual behavior and you wanted to change that habit, in my mind, the smart thing to do would be to look at how to change habitual behavior for other habits and apply that to veganism. So when someone's addicted to alcohol, you don't get them to give up complete, like go cold turkey straight away. The same thing with tobacco or hard drugs or gambling. It's it's quite hard to, it can, I'm not saying it can't be done, but it's so much more successful to slowly change their behavior rather than go cold turkey. The change is likely to stick. They're likely to be able to stick with it and slowly move further and further away from the addictive substance. So, and I cover this in the, in the piece, if your goal is to make me a vegan, perhaps you should offer me advice on how to become vegan, be open to my questions, show me recipes, offer me support when I relapse and eat meat, help me with things that you might find second nature, but I would be like, well, how do you deal with that? And and some of the questions that I've proposed back to people 
that are saying, well, you know, you should just be able to go do it is the following. You know, what, what does a vegan do with their meat-eating pets? So I've got two dogs and two cats that eat meat to survive. Now, by keeping those animals in my house, they're consuming a constant and steady supply of other animals. So would a vegan go the utilitarian approach of sacrificing their pets because though I've got four pets, but my four pets will end up eating hundreds of animals in their lifespan. So is the best approach to sacrifice my animals and then save the rest of those future animals from being killed for the consumption of my animals? Now, I'm just going to put it out there. I'm not going to kill or get rid of my pets, but that's a legitimate question that I have because, you know, what's, what's the appropriate response there? Another one will be is, is it, is change to a vegan lifestyle actually healthy? Because like I said, I can find meat eaters that will be able to come up with scientific evidence and peer-reviewed journals that suggest that a diet that has a balance of protein, fats, and carbs, as well as your micronutrients, you know, that come from meat will be the healthiest diet. I could find people that suggest that a, a diet of fish and vegetables is the healthiest diet. I could find people that suggest a vegetarian lifestyle is the best diet. I could find people that suggest that a vegan lifestyle is the best and healthiest diet. All of these people will give me scientific peer-reviewed journals that push their narrative. And because of that, I'm left going, well, I don't have a degree in nutrition. How am I supposed to decipher the the best answer? And I, and I suppose that leaves me wondering that potentially, say, meat eaters might go, well, I don't really have an ethical problem with eating meat, so here's a scientific journal to prove my point. And look, also, as the journal proves, meeting eats good for you. It's actually necessary for a good diet. And the vegan will counter to that and go, well, I've got a scientific journal that says eating meat is bad for you, which unsurprisingly correlates with their opinion on diet and food. So both of these people have an ethical opinion and they can both find scientific data to prove their point. And I suppose that they would both be able to find holes in the other person's articles and journals and opinions. So then me on the outside, I'm left going, well, who's right? You both are claiming to be right. You both could be right. I don't know if I have the ability to decipher that. And the same thing is true for religion and politics and everything else. You know, a, a political conservative will state that they want a small government and less regulations, and they'll propose the benefits of it. They'll be able to cite economic journals and all of these other things that prove, quote unquote, that their opinion on politics is the right one and the best one for society. But in the same thing, a liberal would be able to do the exact same thing, saying that having a basic safety net and, you know, general government support for for the homeless and, you know, all of the other things that liberals would push for will be the best thing for society. And they could cite economic arguments that suggest, you know, government education and healthcare would actually be more beneficial to society. And the conservatives would come back for that and saying, well, what about trickle down economics? And, you know, I'm not going to get into, into every single person's argument and counter argument, but the point is, is that both sides have opinions and experts on their side. So I guess that leaves me going, well, Unless I commit to studying every issue in great amounts of depth, 
I won't ever be able to get to the bottom of it. And even if I do study it, is it possible to get to the bottom of it? I'm not sure. So as you can see, there, there's a lot of different ways to look at this. But I suppose I'd like to, to close with this. I, I, I posted this this article to suggest that if you've got something that you're passionate about and you want to convince someone, the best way to be convincing will be to get down to their level and slowly change them. I used to be a full-time high school teacher, um, and now I just do replacement work. And one of the things that I like to talk to my students about is reading. I'm a massive advocate of reading. And so are a lot of teachers, but a lot of teachers will just say, reading's good for you, and they push it upon students without really explaining why or without working out why that student themselves would care. So I look at this whole argument and go, well, how can I best convince someone to read more? So what I try and do is get down to their level and work out where they are as a reader and work out why they would care about reading. And the answer isn't the same for every student. Some students want to succeed in school and they want to go to university and they want to get a, you know, hard to get into competitive job, maybe doctoring, maybe lawyering, maybe engineering, something like that. So for that student, you have to suggest that to get to that level of knowledge, you need to read the technical books and there's just a base level of competency that you can't get from anywhere else. And I think that's what most pe most teachers will push upon all students. They presume that every student wants to go down that path. But from experience, I can tell you that the majority of students just don't. They don't see the connection or they're not interested. So what I'll rather suggest is I'll go down the path of suggesting to them that reading is good because it allows you to live another life. And I will talk to them about subjective experience and say to them that they only get to live their one life, but if they read a book, they can see the world through other people's perspectives. So for those that are interested in, in a particular topic, if they're sports people, they can read the best sports players. If they want to do well at sport, read the best sports players and work out what was going through their mind when they were winning or what helped them to get to that perspective. For the others that have you know, a more empathetic nature, I'll suggest that reading allows you to get into someone else's head and allows you to see the world from their perspective and look at morals and ethics and choices from a different point of view. The point, the point I'm trying to make is this, is that to convince someone of reading or of any particular topic, you need to get to where they're at and slowly inc and incrementally raise them up. I read daily. I listen to podcasts and audiobooks daily, but I wouldn't suggest that someone should instantly jump to my level of reading, even though I see immense value in it. I believe it's one of the most important things that anyone could do ever. However, if I suggested that anyone in my life read or consume books at the rate that I do, they would laugh at me and say it's impossible to do so, and they might not take up my cause. But if I worked out what they like and suggested a book that would suit their exact needs, I've started them down the path. I'm not getting them to my level. I'm not convincing them of the exact behavior that I would want to convince them of, but I've helped them to, I've helped shift them slightly towards what I value. And I guess that's where I'll leave it. If you believe that you your ethical standpoint is correct or you want to convince something, someone of something, work out where they're at and slowly change them. 
At times, the shock and awe tactics might be right, but in general, a slow, steady, incremental approach that's catered towards the individual will be the most convincing. I know this podcast has been a bit of a rant and ramble, so I apologize uh, for the for the nature of this one, but I'm really interested to hear your opinion on everything I've said and on my blog post in general. So please connect with me on social media at Zach P. Phillips on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and I'm happy to chat with you further. And if you're interested in reading my book, that can be found on my website at Zachary-Phillips.com. I talk about my experiences with mental health, childhood trauma, and growing up as the son of an addict, paranoid schizophrenic, chronic hoarder, and drug dealer. I called the book Under the Influence Reclaiming My Childhood, and that's really what it was. The act of writing was an act of reclaiming my past, making sense of it, and then coming to terms with the impact of my past to this day. I decided to share my book with the world because I wanted to show people that are currently going through similar circumstances to me, or that have gone through it, that that there's a light at the end of the tunnel and that they can recover, and that there's people out there that are willing to talk and share and communicate with them. Thanks.